before we enter into our teaching this morning, may we pause for a moment of prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your mercy, your faithfulness, your holiness, your righteousness, your justice. Lord, and these extend to us throughout all generations. That includes the previous generation that came and walked in this path of grace. And those of us who find ourselves traveling and journeying and the generation that will follow, may they find also the same truth that has been handed out by all the faithful, by all those who have been redeemed and called out by you. In Christ alone is our cornerstone. And we bless you and we thank you. And we raise holy voice and holy hands to you. Because of the person and the work of Christ on the cross of Calvary. That gave us the full confidence to approach the holiest place that we may obtain and draw close to that throne of grace to receive mercy and love and affirmation that it is because of Christ's work, because of his shed blood, we can now stand before such a holy and perfect God. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, now open up our minds to listen to your word. Give us ears to hear and hearts willing to apply your truth. In your blessed name we pray. Amen. Well, dear friends, I know that some of you, through my conversations, this is how I know. Nobody gossiped to me or told me. But I have discovered that some of you are sports fanatics. And so, you know... Um, have to ride and have to pick a jab at some of that and I know that we're in the playoffs right now and so many of you sympathizers have um, had already expressed that frigid weather that the Kansas Chiefs and the Miami Dolphins were playing at last night and I said thank you Jesus because I'm not in those frigid area of the country anymore. So um, with that, I have to draw our attention this morning before we dive into the theology and the biblical text here that is rich with God's truth. I want to for a minute pause and, and maybe stimulate your thinking and your thought. What is the most damaging blown call in sports history ever? Now we could get into a very serious debate, almost uh, 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 getting to the limits of, hey, watch it, brother, you're crossing that line, right? Uh, where, where, where some of these calls are either, they're so controversial, right? Because um, either somebody won legitimately or somebody was legitimately robbed. Depending on, on how you view all of that, right? I mean, I've seen many games, but, you know, I asked myself the question. I was going to post this on social media and just to get the public's, you know, response. But I held back. I restrained myself. I said, hey, uh, uh, you know, I won't go there. I don't want to stir up this, 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 deba this debacle out there. But 
according to the Boston.com place, I went and started searching all these places, asked these questions. I ended up there. Um, so I'm not endorsing the place, but this is where I drew the stats from. So, so you can verify this and see if this is true or we might enter in some type of uh, debacle here too. However, however, they claim that the most damaging blown call in sports history was probably umpire Don Deckinger's safe call on Royals George or Jorge Orta at first base in game six of the 1985 World Series. Okay, some of you would probably recall that. I, 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 I'll be honest, I, I was about 15, I don't recall that, so I had to jump on YouTube and uh, you know, do all my search, and I was like, <gasps> and came to my own conclusion, you might have your own conclusion. But that's, that's the challenge there, right? Um, and some people feel that they were robbed. That the Cardinal, but, but the Cardinals were leading that game 1-0. to zero, And the series, they were also leading the series 3-2. to two. Well, after that blown call, thanks to the umpire, right? The Royals rallied and they clobbered the Cardinals in game 7. Now, wherever you land in that conversation, that draws us and takes us to our biblical narrative today. You're probably going to wonder, Pastor, what does baseball have to do with Bible? Well, God started baseball. Have you had not heard? Right? You all heard. So I'm speaking to the choir here, right? God was into baseball, right? So, and Paul, he always talks about, you know, metaphors of running the race and sports and athletic, you know. So, so again, if you want to blame somebody, blame God. <laughs> but last week, we considered false teachers. As we jumped into Colossians through our teaching, we're, we're, we're giving our times and, and giving ourselves permission to go verse by verse on this. This is probably going to be one of the most prolonged sermon series that I do on a, on a book of the Bible. Not that I don't want to or not, but I, I want to shorten things up and to dive deep into bigger issues and conceptually conceptualize uh, Scripture for you and synthesize it a little bit more, more focused. However... This week, we want to consider these false teachers. That's what we talked about last week. We were in Colossians 2, uh, verses 4 through 8 last week. Today, we're, we're considering verses uh, 16 through 19. And then next week, we're going to be talking about the ascetics. What, what does that mean? We're going to be talking about verses 20 and 23. And then I want to close off this section of Colossians with an uh, with a exposition on what is true Christianity. And then, get ready. Because everything that we're going to be talking about all the way up to Palm, before Palm Sunday is a sermon series that we've entitled, Excuse You. <laughs> Excuse You. So Caesar and I have been working on those graphics and whatnot, but that's going to take us all the way through right before Palm Sunday. And then uh, that should close off the whole book of Colossians. And really what it is, it's, it's, it's the church's interaction with the world. And things that we need to address as believers, even amongst interpersonal relationships, amongst ourselves... And, and, and how do we deal with that? The biggest challenge in the world, I believe, in my opinion, this is my opinion, no scholar, no nothing, is really about interpersonal relationships. And, and, and it, they're tense. Uh, relationships between leaders, between congregants or members or followers, if you want to use that type of language. But it's very important for us to dig and process and let the Word of God speak to our lives. So... Since last week we talked about these false teachers, just let me 
run through it very quickly. Um, I want to remind you of verse 4, right? You know, don't be deluded by, by these plausible arguments. And I said, I suggested to you last week, these are smooth talkers. <laughs> right? Uh, I think we've all seen and, and come across a smooth talker. But they use deception with polished conversation to, to deceive even those, if you can imagine, even those who have been and sustained to solid, um, uh, sound, and healthy doctrine, right? Why would, the, why would, why would uh, falsehood try to just deceive those who are already deceived? They're coming after those who hold and sustain to the truth. They, they want to deceive, right? And so we, we, thought, we found out last week, according to verse 8 of the same chapter, we see to it that no one takes you captive, right? Don't be kidnapped. Don't be carried away by these false teachings. And then we also discover that these are according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world. Now, there's the big controversy even in, within uh, uh, Christianity. Is this talking about demons? Is it talking about human philosophies? I think it's either both. Uh, how, why? Because, you know, again, I cited from um, the book of John, right? When Jesus was talking to the Pharisees and, and he says, you guys don't believe me because you can't handle the truth. Citing from Tom Cruise's and, you know, a few good men, right? And Jack Nicholas responded, you can't handle the truth, right? And they couldn't handle the truth, these religious Jews. And Jesus says, you know why you can't handle the truth? Because you're from your father. And he nailed it there in John 8, 44, right? He, he just nailed it. He says, your father is a devil. And he was a liar since the beginning. In fact, his nature is to lie. In fact, everything that comes out of him is a lie. So again, you know, wherever you land in that, we know that even all of these manifestations and, and, and demonic presence and powers, because they're, they're, those do exist. If you don't believe me, read the story of, of, of Moses with the Pharaoh. Right? Moses did these things, and, and, then, and then what did Pharaoh do? He called his magicians to perform all these magical things. Right? So we do know there's counterfeit manifestations of sorts. But where do all these come from? Where do they, where do they manifest themselves? So again, we, we, we consider this. But I think the key to all of this, and this bridges and brings us back to this week's text, was at the end of um, chapter 2, verse 8. Not according to Christ. And that's very key for us in our understanding of false teachings, in our understanding of rituals and mystics, and our comprehension about what ascetics are or ascetism becomes, because that's still present in the 21st century church. There is still this desire for uh, uh, the church to become uh, mixed and, and it's kind of like this tossed salad and ideas uh, that swirl outside in the world, philosophies that try to penetrate into the body of Christ. And what Paul is basically saying here, be careful of these things that are not according to Christ. Now, this morning, we're going to, um, I, I wrestled because, you know, in my, in my PowerPoints, I wanted to use the word cultic worship, and I didn't know how you might all respond to it. Like, what's Pastor Pablo talking about here? 
But uh, uh, so I wanted to kind of play with that word and, and define it, unpack it a little bit. Um, so when we think about cultic, right, you're thinking about, oh, um, this hidden, mysterious, occultic thing. No, that's not what it's talking about. Cultic is more ritualistic, a formal way of, of doing liturgy and performing festivities and, and approaching religion altogether. So that's, you know, uh, when it includes um, the sacrifice of animals and the, and the spilling of blood, that, that's cultic. So it, it involves all of that. Feasts, celebrations, liturgies, and, 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 and that. that was Jewish tradition. Right, just study the Jewish religion. Right, you study that they 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 had their altars and they bring their sacrifice and they had their priests and everything, the Levites and and they had all these formalities and liturgies. So that's what I mean by cult, cultic uh, worship. In fact, one author uh, suggested that hey, uh, Israel would be nothing without the cult, uh, worship, worship, sacrifice, ritual, was a very important part of the Jewish religion. And, and in fact, you know, again, the whole te Old Testament, you don't believe me, read the, you know, all the way from the book of Act, uh, Exodus, and then you start getting a whole lot of uh, uh, formality to the religion. So that's what I mean by cult, right? You know, it, it's this worship, sacrifice, and ritual. However, and, and again, you see this uh, during, you know, the times of Jesus. There was a lot of temple cult. It uh, was the central place in Jerusalem, right? They, they celebrated festivities. They, 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 you know, they observed these calendar days. Okay, liturgies and, and such. Even the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is included and, and is also uh, highlights a lot of this liturgy, this congregational worship. Okay, a lot of the Psalms were, 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 were actually recited, right, out loud during formal ceremonies. Okay, if you, you, you never heard that, well, that's part of the, the whole background of, of the Jewish traditions. However, this week's sermon really just focuses on something uh, um, a, a bit concerning for us. Um, yes, and, and I hope it's eye-opening to us. I hope it's eye-opening. I hope it stimulates our mind to really ask questions about this. So this week's, uh, uh, we're going to observe how disqualification, right? There's a, a form of disqualification that Paul's going to allude to here that I hope it's not like that umpire. I mean, if you really watch that 1985 things, I mean, I watched the video again and again and again, and I, I cited with the site that said he was disqualified. He was out. But they gave him the, the safe call. And, and so let's read. Let's read so you could see it on yourself, okay? By yourself here. So Colossians chapter 2, verses 16 through 19 starts this way. Therefore, right? Therefore, we know it, it, it's just a buzzword to say everything that came before. Therefore, therefore, he starts, let no one pass judgment. This is hard word. This is, this is straightforward word. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon. And get a load of this. Or a Sabbath. That's hardcore stuff there, friends. And then, then look what verse 17 says. These are a shadow of the things to come, but no substance but the substance belongs to Christ. That's, that's a very important phrase there. But the substance belongs to Christ. I would suggest that you would underline that because that's a key to understanding this whole complexity even when the scriptures are hard, right? But the substance belongs to Christ. Verse 18, here you go again. Let no one disqualify you. 
let no one disqualify you, insisting on ascetism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by the sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. Once again, he's reiterating here, even though he's not using the word Christ, he's saying not holding fast. Notice the proximity to holding fast to the head. From whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. What grows the church? What grows the body? Not the pastor. Not the strategies. Not the outreaches. Not even the money. Though you are very generous. Thank you. But none of that grows the church. Not, not even the fancy, sorry seizure, no, no offense. Not, not even with the lights and all of the, the fancy things that we can decorate the worship and, and create a, a worship. None of that grows the church. Might draw a crowd. The question is, does it grow a church? And how does the church grow? And how is it nourished? And how, how is it, how, how do you foster that, that, that depthness of it to the head? Right? And who is the head? Little hint there. <laughs> right? Just look way up there. It's there for us. Christ. Okay. Here's three things. And I'm going to go through this a bit fast. So please forgive me. But I, I don't, I don't want to abuse of my time. Here's the first thing. First thought that came to me when I read this. And it rocked my world. And it caused me to, to really dig in further. But first thing. Religious rituals and worship are not the big picture of the believer. I'm going to say that again. Relig religious rituals and worship are not the big picture for or of the believer. Christ is the substance of our faith. This is very important here. Again, Let's, let's slow the, the lens down here. Let's walk through this verse together. Starting in verse 16. Therefore, we know that means everything that was said before. What was said before? Well, that includes the Christological hymn. Go back to chapter 1, verses 15 through, through 20. And what did we read there? Well, two things. Christ is supreme. He's preeminent over the created order, governments, powers, and authorities. Over the whole created order, visible and invisible, Christ is preeminent. He is supreme. But he's also supreme over the work of regeneration or reconciliation. So he is supreme so that in everything, Christ is Supreme. Okay, so this is very important. So if Christ is supreme in all of these things, he also is supreme over our religious traditions. Over our worship. Over our convictions. Over our conversations. Over our relationships. So that when we encounter difficult subjects and, and situations... Christ must be preeminent. He must be the center of that conversation, even when it relates to church discipline. Why? Because if Christ isn't, we begin to destroy each other. 
when Christ is not the center of our focus, we begin to notice each other's weaknesses. Or as a friend would say, you begin to notice the beast in me. The ugliness. The rawness of who Pablo Cachon is. And you're not going to like it. This is why Christ must be preeminent in all of our relationships. They're grounded and founded on Jesus Christ's love. Why? Because as we just sang a few minutes ago, he is the cornerstone. He is our cornerstone. So this is what Paul is saying. Then, that's why he says, therefore, let no one, notice this, that includes pastors and leaders. Let no one pass judgment on you in questions. You know, what's the biggest uh, uh, turnoff in Christianity today? You know, we, we, our, our staff, we just did this demographic study. And we were, we're, we're, we're doing this hardcore um, study on just, you know, how, how our society views church. And one of the biggest reasons, and it wasn't in one report that we read, but in other reports, this goes back and over and over and over again. What is the number one reason why people don't want to go to church? Number one reason, they distrust the church. Why? Because when people come to church, what do they ask? I don't like going to church because all they do is ask for your money. That's why I say, we don't even tell you when, you know, we're going to do the offering and things. In fact, some people don't even know when we do offering here. It's like, next thing you know, you're singing a song and then the offering bag passes by. And you're like, oh, But that's the number one reason why the community has this, 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 this guard up with the church. Because all they want is your money. But notice what Paul is saying here. So he says, therefore, let no one pass judgment. That judgment, it, 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 this isn't like the same word that we're going to read later on. But this, this form of judgment is just really, don't let no one be critical on you. Okay, and, and notice why at the start of this, he says, let no one be critical towards you in the questions of these, of religiousness, of food, drink, or with regards to festival, new moons, or a Sabbath. Now, I asked the question here, I said, what is Paul? And, and all of the scholars, they're all divided on these. Some people say they're not talking about Judaism because this goes back to the, to the, the, the heresy that, was, that we're not told about in this, in this church in Colossae. There's maybe some some things that we can say, oh, look, it's alluding to this, but I can't stand here and tell you, yes, it was Judaism, because look, he uses the word Sabbath. That, that, would, that would be twisting the word of God here. Whatever he's including in here, he's talking about either pagan or Jewish, or, or, or because the pagans were also very uh, liturgical in their worship to deities. Look at the, just study the, the, the religion of Artemis and Ephesus, right? Ephesus and, and, and you had um, uh, Colossae and then Lodicea further out. So, so, so uh, Colossae was between Ephesus and uh, Lodicea. And, and what was the influence of worship in the pagan day? Well, yeah, it was Artemis. The goddess of love, no, not the goddess of love, but the, the, the goddess of sensuality. So he's addressing all these things. He's saying, hey, let no one disqualify you in, in these things from your background. Why? Because they were, they were being asked to do something that wasn't in accordance to Christ. How do we know that? Because look at how he ends at the end of verse 17. 
He says, at the start of 17, he says, these are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. That's your qualifier there. What is the qualifier? Well, I serve, not because of the pastor, I serve because this is what Christ wants of me. I become a member of the local church because this is what Christ wants for me. We're going to allude to that and, and, and observe that a little bit. Why do I get baptized? Well, for one, it's a mandate by the Lord himself. But two, you testify to the local body of believers that you too are a follower of Jesus. So, having said that, what is he talking about here? How do, we, how do we process this? Well, you know, again, I'm not going to go into all these verses, but here I'm going to give you some, some stuff so that you can follow up and, and, and kind of track this through your own personal study. In Amos 8.5, um, the prophet alludes to these moon celebrations. So this was part of the Is- Israelites and, and the Hebrew people. These were customs that they adapted. You know, I asked myself a question. Uh, how many laws were there when Jesus came to the world? Right? There was somewhere around 611 laws. Who came up with all those regulations? I mean, you go back to the book of Exodus, there was 10 commandments given. And then they ended up with 611. Well, if you study the, 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 the uh, for example, some of the writings of the rabbis, then you begin to see how all of this unfolded. But they had approximately 611. And when Jesus was asked, hey, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God. He gave him the Shema. Hear, O Israel. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, mind. Right? And then he, he attached the clause B to it. And love others. And by doing this, you have fulfilled what? All the law and the prophets. So... We see that in Amos 8.5. There's an allusion there to the bloom, to the, to the new moon. All of these is just a code name for saying the celebrations because these were, uh, the, the culture there were, 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 were farmers and growers and that type of uh, agricultural type of setting. So they celebrated with harvests. And what did they do in the harvest? Well, the harvest, the, 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 the new moon was just another way of saying, hey, man, it's the first of the month and there's a full moon. Let's go celebrate and thank God for all his provision of the, of the past season. That's all it was. It was just another Sabbath. It was another, uh, 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 another celebration of, of Holy Week. So, again, you, you, you read this and you, you start discovering um, Hosea 2.11, right? Um, there, he's saying all of these are going to pass with the independence, uh, with national independence. And, 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 and he says that God will put an end to all of her mirth, her feast, addressing his people, her new moons, her Sabbaths, and all her appointed feasts. What's the most vivid picture of all of this? Isaiah 58. Don't go too far. Isaiah 58. You have a, a group of people who were very festive, who were fasting, who were doing all their celebrations, who were observing their Sabbath, and God said, I hate your religion. So this, the, the, where's Paul going with this? Why does he mention all of this to the, to the people? Well, again, God was unhappy with these celebrations, right? In fact, if you read Isaiah 1.13, look at the language that, that the prophet describes when God views all these celebrations. 
Um, Isaiah 113, he says, bring no more vain offerings. This is, this, is, this is how God is using his prophet to describe the condition of religiousness that is empty, that is full of just human elements and of this world. What God would distinguish between that type of liturgy and the one he's looking for. He says, bring no more vain offerings, incense and an abomination to me. New moon, there's the word again, new moon, and Sabbath and the calling of convictions, I cannot endure iniquity. And solemn assembly. Your new moons, there's the, the word new moons again. And your appointed feast. This, now, this is God speaking to the prophet, right? No wonder they, 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 they hated him. Please don't hate me. I'm just reciting what was of old. But he, but he says, my soul hates. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of burying them. Man, this is deep stuff. This is deep stuff. So again, we see these feasts and festivals that is very important. And, and again, what were all of these? The people wanted to designate these feasts and festivals as a way to thank God. It's all the bribery, the injustice that was going on. It was the neglect of the poor, the widow, da-da-da, um, that, that was not being attended to that God said, you know what, this doesn't please me at all. The church of Corinth was going through that with all the sin that was going behind the curtains and yet they were coming to church and praising God. And he says, no, that cannot be. And so we see that here that this whole concept of Sabbath that really, you know, most of us have grown up with, right? When we think of Sabbath, we think of Sunday, right? For us, we're not Jewish, you know. Well, some of you might be. You might have that, that background. But, but for the rest of us, like me, I I'm, 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 I'm come from a generation of Latinos, Mexican. I was born here. Sabbath for me was Sunday. Okay, Sunday we go to church. I don't want to go to church. We got to go to church. I don't want to go to church. We are going to go to church. That's what my parents raised me. We are going to church. And if not, mama brought out the holy chancla. <laughs> going to church. Okay. Wherever you land on this, the, the, the debate is, is this to be observed still? Hebrews 4.9. Hebrews 4.9 talks about a Sabbath. He says, so then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. But notice this, this Sabbath rest takes and draws from that Jewish Sabbath, but it's talking about an eschatological Sabbath. To the point where, to the point where in verse 11 of Hebrews 4, he says, let us therefore strive to enter that rest. Question, if we are in Christ and Jesus said, Come unto me, all who are labor and tired, and I will give you rest. What does that mean for us to enter into that rest and strive to enter into that rest? Again, I love theology. I love to process the Word of God. But there's a hint of that. Christ inaugurated the kingdom in his first advent, and he will culminate it in his second. So there's, there's hope for us. To find rest, to find peace, to find joy in the person and the work of Christ. That's why the substance belongs to Christ. May your religious 
devotion, may your religious piety, may your consecration not just be one out of religious pursuit or aim or formalities. May religion in, in us be Christ-centered and God-glorifying or God-honoring. I think this is where Paul is drawing the attention. Because whether it's is this paganism or this, this facade of religion, none of that means nothing. And Paul would say it this way in, in 1 Corinthians 13. Man, I could even speak the, the, the tongues of angels, but if I don't have love, I have nothing. Or as they would say in the southern parts of this country, they have diddly squat. <laughs> you have nothing. And so, again, for, for, for us, uh, this is of most importance, right, to, to consider. And the second thing, religious rituals and worship disqualify. Again, just like this um, umpire, right? You have people, I'm not saying anyone here, haven't encountered that here. And I hope I'm not wrong. I hope we are not focusing on disqualifying, disqualifying each other of our worship and our relationship and our, and our growth and our faith in Christ. But religious rituals and worship disqualify, insist, and ultimately, notice this, it results, it takes people to spiritual pride. Again, look at the text. Let no one disqualify you. Now, this in the Greek language is alluding to that umpire. Don't let the umpire rob you. Don't let the umpire call you out for something that is true. Don't be disqualified. Now, that can happen in many ways. But let no one disqualify you, insisting. Not, 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 here's where it gets interesting, right? And we're going to go into this next week. Insisting on ascetism. And worship of angels. Now, this is where it alludes to pagan worship, syncretism. Okay, all these uh, secretive movements that happen. It's kind of like those people that says, hey, let's, let's gather at my house, but don't tell the pastor or the elders. We're going to, shh, shh, we're going to be meeting. Be careful with that. Be careful with that. So, so, and then he goes on. Going on in detail about visions but here is the ultimate thing where you can tell where a person's uh, um, character and where their intents are, are coming from. They're puffed up without reason and by his sensuous mind. That right there, in the, in the, in the original language, is just basically talking about conceited people. That's what it's talking about. People who are so full of their, and puffed up and conceited and prideful with their spiritual insight and discernment, they say, oh, no, 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 don't listen to that. Don't listen to that. You listen to me. And you got to watch it for that. Again, um, he goes into this. He's talking about this disqualification. You have an example of this, uh, of, this, of this umpire disqualifying, making a very controversial call. But that's exactly what these false teachers were doing. They were adding. So to summarize this point, you would have to understand it this way. Anything, it's almost like, like saying, I come to Christ, I accepted Jesus, and yet these false teachers were saying, you know, Pablo, you accepted Jesus, but there's still something else that you need. It's almost like, like, like Christ's work is deficient or something. 
It's almost like saying Christ's work is not sufficient. It's, it's, it's not powerful enough to redeem me, restore me, to regenerate me, to justify me, to sanctify me from all my wrongdoing. And that's what they were saying. This is what was going on under the currents there in Colossae. They were, they were telling these people, how do we know that? Look at the choice of words that Paul described in here, right? He talks about ascetism, which is a form of, of hurting, severely being harsh to your body. The worship, he uses cultic language to, to worship angels and beings and spirits. But go, go, go on about it. Describing visions. Puffed up without reason. What is he alluding to? The mind. Right? And then the sensuous mind. What is he alluding to there? The body. Where, where does, notice the, the, the tract of allusions there. It's just another way of saying the flesh. That's it. It's just another way of saying the flesh. And finally, this wouldn't make sense unless we said... And ask the question, what is Paul saying and what is he not saying? Paul's not saying liturgy and rituals and even worship itself is bad. So this is why I, I scripted this last point by saying, true religious ritual and worship are Christ-centered. Why? Well, look at what verse 19 tells us. And not holding fast to what? Not holding fast to the head. Notice the, the immediacy of that. Not holding fast to the head. From whom? The whole body. Who is the body? The church. Those who are being redeemed. But notice is what happened here with the body. The body is nourished as a whole. It's knit together. And through its joints and ligaments, what happens? It grows. Have you ever tried to lose weight but not do exercise? It's kind of like ch chasing after the wind, right? It's wishful thinking. But if you say, hey, I'm going to lose weight, I'm going to eat less, and I'm going to be more active, what's going to happen? You're going to shed those pounds, baby. Then you're going to get fit. Then all of a sudden... You know, those jeans that now fit tight are going to start fitting loose. And then you're going to start feeling good, right? Because that's what happens when you're, when you're in fit. You start feeling good, right? It's the same thing that happens to church. The growth. How does that growth happen? And so here Paul is just saying, again, this is why the importance of this talk of Christ and the supremacy and the preeminence. Why? Because Christ is the head. And he, he is suggesting, is Paul suggesting, and you have to come to this conclusion on your own. But when I read the text, here's the conclusion I came. Paul has connected the head to the body. And basically what he's saying, without the head, the body can't function. But without the body, there cannot be growth. So where's the growth going to come for Clovis EV Free? Not from Pastor Pablo. Thank God. It comes from us. And you know what, friends? Here's what I'm going to say. It's hard work. It's hard work. I'm not saying it's impossible. It's hard work. 
So how does this? Well, here, here, here's a, a few ways that I thought that this can grow, and I'm going to conclude with this. But here, here, here's a few ways how the body grows. Here's some pragmatic takeaway uh, uh, ways that the body grows. First of all, it grows by our unity. It doesn't grow no other way. The other day, I was asked, hey, Pablo, is your elders and you, you're all in, a, in unity? I said, absolutely. I didn't think about it twice. I just said, absolutely. How about your staff? Are you guys together? Absolutely. I didn't think about it. I didn't pause or anything. Absolutely. Friends, we are united not because you like me or I'm the best speaker here. No, I am not. There's better preachers and pastors out there, better teachers. We are, we are in it together because of Christ. That's it. We're, we're in it because of our unity in Jesus. Secondly, how, do we, how does the church grow? Well, here's a good word for you. We need solidarity. I need you, you need me. And you know what? It, it's hard when we don't see solidarity. We need solidarity. I need you to watch my back just like I'm watching your back. I, 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 need, I need to know that we're going to do some hard things and you're standing right behind me when I look back. I don't want to be like, like, like the guy that, that's, okay, who's going to lead the charge? And, and the whole army moved back and the one guy was left standing in front. Nobody wants to be that. But we need to be locking arms, locking hands. So solidarity is a Here's some examples of solidarity. Service opportunities. We need help with our youth. We need help with our kids. We, we need to crack the nut. How do we start family services again here? We can't keep saying, hey, well, we used to have a wana. Okay, that was good. But we need, I need your help. I don't have all the answers. I know that we need to do that. But we, we need to crack that nut here. How else do we do that? Well, thank God, by God's grace and mercy, we're noticing how Bible studies are flourishing. What, what's going on here on Sunday mornings? With our, if you, if you want to know and grow more to be like Jesus, I want to invite you to come to our Sunday school morning discipleship. It is a phenomenal study. You can also attend men's Bible studies on Thursday nights. You can also attend women's Bible studies on Thursday mornings or nights. You know, a couple of stories. Maybe you did not know this. Paula was mentioning this to me, how some ladies are coming because of, of, of their connection through social media. I didn't know you guys are offering this. And, you know, I've been attending this church way out there in, in, in the middle of nowhere. But your church is closer. It's convenient. I want to come. The, the importance of, of developing an online worship experience. Why? Because people are taking notice. I, the other day I was listening to this newsman talking about business. I mean, this wasn't even a Christian talk show. It, it was about business. And the guy said, if your business is not doing anything online, you're missing it. And then I said, why? Right? I asked the question that we would all ask. Why? 
And he said, because people want to check out your business online before they ever interact with you. And so, how do we develop this growth, right? Some happens here in person. Some happens virtual. How about missions? We support missionaries around the globe and even here locally. So, these are opportunities. These are not prescriptive. But I, I, I offer them with this in mind. Our children need to grow. Our youth need to grow. Haley has committed part of her time to do this. She needs your support. She cannot do this without you. To the young person, would you consider joining our student ministries? To the parent, would you consider bringing your child to student ministries? The last thing we want to do is see our sister get discouraged and leave. I don't want that. I don't want that. I think God called Haley here for this time to lead the charge. And I want to express my solidarity to her as a pastor, as your pastor, and say, hey, sister, we want to support you, and we want to affirm you, and we want to back you up. So the growth isn't just mine. It's also for my children. It's also for the other generation that's growing. And I think this is what Paul was alluding. How do we do religious piety that is genuine? By committing to the head, being united to the body, and you know what? Here's my favorite part. By stretching those muscles. Imagine going to the gym and you have to pick up that weight. Number one, I don't like waking up at 4 o'clock in the morning to go to the gym. I don't. I'd rather go walking in the afternoon. I enjoy that more. But you know what? Even walking in the afternoon, like there's a good football game. I'm all like, I don't want to go walking. And then I remind myself, go walking. If you ever see me walking in the streets, you're going to know that I'm having a rough day. Because <laughs> I'll be walking like this. like. But I'm walking. Friends, we need to work and it's going to hurt us. The importance to that is Christ. I want to thank you guys from the bottom of my heart. You know, I haven't taken this opportunity. So you could come up. I mean, we don't, we don't have it all together here. And, and the other day, my family was asking me, hey, how's it going at church? And I'm all like, dude, it's going well. Well, it's going well, but, it, but yeah, it's scary. And they're all like, well, why? What's, what's more scary? Well, you hear all the news that people are leaving California and people are just exiting and whatnot. Are people leaving your church? No, they're not leaving. They're actually, it's, it's actually growing. And what are you doing? What, what, what are you, what's, what's, what's being so? I ain't doing nothing. <laughs> it's just like I'm teaching and I'm loving people and I'm getting to know. But what's going on? What, what, what big thing? What attraction? I hope your attraction and your reason for being committed and, 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 and exercising solidarity here is not to Pastor Pablo, even though I'm a cool guy and people like, forget that. I hope your reason for coming here is Christ. And when you and I have a chance to sit down, and you know what? Over the next few months, I, I, I know I'm driving my, I'm, I'm, I'm asking the pre, a pre-apologetic thing to my wife because I know that, but my goal is to meet with as many of you as possible. 
would you would you consider um, carving out some time, even here at the office or something? I want to get to know you. But you know what? Christ wants to get to know you even more. He's not through with us, folks. He's just starting. And better days ahead. Why? Because this is his church and he's the head. We are the body. And you know what? I hurt when you hurt. Some of you I can't even lift. But you know what? I can lift you up in prayers. Father, this morning, once again, I don't even know if I stayed true to this sermon as I wrote it, but I know your spirit has something to do with that. And you speak to us in those areas that we need. So, Father, right now, I would pray that if anyone is here, both in person or online, that you would transcend time and space that you would speak to our hearts, that you would change our mind, that if we need areas of growth, Lord, that you would grow us in those areas. That this would be the year, this would be the day that we stop putting up excuses of whatever, time, busyness, uh, just finances, health, whatever it is, Lord. That we would heed your call because you're the head. Because we are part of this body. And the body needs us. The arm is hurting. The leg is limping. The back has back pain. Lord, would you help us become more like Jesus. That we don't rely on our strength. That we would rely on the power of your Holy Spirit. The third person of the blessed trinity. Father, if anyone here or anyone online would say, I need a relationship with Jesus, would you just confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead on the third day and the Holy Scriptures declare that you shall be saved. Call unto the name of the Lord for salvation today. And Father, if we've been sitting, struggling, would you move us? Would you give us the strength to stand and the boldness to go and do? And what are we to do? Disciples of Jesus to lead people to the head, which is Christ.